culture, and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Does it count to actually look back and look back to 14 years ago? I mean, really, to 2009, when there is a uh, extraordinarily insightful comment and a uh, column, actually, that appeared in the New York Post. And the headline said, in 2009, don't stop until Hamas is destroyed. If um, Israel had followed that advice back in 2009, would it be a different world today? Uh, 1-800-955-1776. We'll be speaking to the author of that column, uh, who's also the author of 29 books, uh, Ralph Peters, who's been a frequent guest on the show, I'm proud to say, uh, the author of Civil War novels, books on foreign policy, and more, with uh, three decades' experience as a crack uh, U.S. Army intelligence officer. We'll be speaking to Ralph Peters coming up on The Medved Show. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, there's also the, the question of um, uh, what is happening in the world of politics and a great deal of the attention in the world of politics is paid to the Des Moines Register poll which just came out which is considered the most authoritative poll by far uh, for the nation's first caucuses or primaries that's the January 15th uh, uh, caucuses that are scheduled for the state of Iowa. And uh, the headline says in the Des Moines Register today, Trump leads, Haley ties DeSantis in new Iowa poll before 2024 uh, caucuses. A Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll shows 43% of likely Republican caucus goers pick Trump as their first choice for president, while DeSantis and Haley tied for second at 16%. Support for Nikki Haley has swelled in Iowa. That's how the piece leads. The former United Nations ambassador has pulled even with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in what has become a heated battle for second place in the first in the nation caucus state. But former President Donald Trump still dominates the race. A new Des Moines Register NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll shows 43% of likely Republican caucus goers choose Trump as their first choice for president. That's up from 42% in an August Iowa poll. Uh, DeSantis and Haley are now tied for second place with 16%. It's a drop of three percentage points for DeSantis. And uh, it's a 10-point jump for Haley, who used to be at 6%, is now at 16%. And one of the things that they point out, they interview a 39-year-old respondent from Waterloo named Aaron Rush. And Rush is weighing supporting Haley. He said he's been watching presidential polls and debates to help him decide between the two. More than anything, he says he wants to find a candidate who looks like they can beat Trump. He likes U.S. Senator Tim Scott, but doesn't include him in his top two 
because the senator's poor showing in other polls. The ability to beat Trump right now is more important than any sort of policy differences you're going to get between the rest of the fields, Rush said. Uh, Scott is at 7%, down from 9%. Chris Christie is at 4%, down from 5%. Vivek Ramaswamy held steady at 4%. And North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum arose from 2% to 3%. And uh, meanwhile, Texas Pastor Ryan Binkley, who will be also on the ballots in uh, Iowa, uh, fell to 0%. He will not be a factor. Mike Pence dropped out of the race on Saturday. In addition to her strong showing with independents, who were allied to part, uh, allowed to participate in the caucuses for the Republican Party, if they choose, in uh, January 15th, Nikki Haley leads both Trump and DeSantis with suburban poll respondents. 32% say Haley is their first pick for president. DeSantis is second at 29%, and Trump is third at 24%. Now, they separated the suburban participants because they are the most likely to participate in the caucuses. Those who name Trump as their first choice are also more enthusiastic about their pick, the poll shows. Overall, 30% of likely caucus growers say they are extremely enthusiastic about their first choice for president. And uh, the, what's fascinating here is they have a, a, a heading in their coverage of this big new poll. It says, is it inevitable that Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses? And they point out that Trump leads by a commanding margin, but Iowa caucus goers have not shut the door on alternatives, the Iowa poll shows. The poll shows that just 4% of respondents have narrowed the list of candidates they are considering to just one. Instead, 22% are considering two candidates, and 72% say they're considering three or more candidates. In other words, they haven't made up their minds, which is that uh, an indication that that uh, debate in Florida, no November 8th, coming right up, could be very important. Trump's total is uh, matched by the 67% who say they are considering caucusing for DeSantis. In other words, there's 67% who say they're considering caucusing for Trump and 67% who say they are considering caucusing for DeSantis. Now, what all of this means is uh, fascinating. There are a couple of candidates who might want to consider uh, giving up. One of them is Vivek Ramaswamy, who is viewed more unfavorably in Iowa than he is even across the country. Three candidates are underwater with their favorability rating. Uh, they are viewed unfavorably by more likely caucus goers than favorably. The three who are viewed negatively are um, uh, Ramaswamy and uh, Pastor Binkley, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, who is, I think, close to calling off his campaign. The percentage of those who, ru who view Ramaswamy unfavorably has risen from 20% to 37%, an indication that all the exposure and attention he got in the debates didn't help him, it hurt him. 
while the percentage of those who view him favorably uh, has increased to 43%. But when you're that close, you have 43% favorable, 37% unfavorable, that's out. Christie remains the candidate with the highest unfavorable rating. Uh, all of this with the Iowa poll, well, you can figure it out. Here we are, uh, where October, November, December, it's, it's less than three months away. And uh, for years, there's somebody who's been talking about foreign policy, who's been unbelievably prophetic about Putin, who called it right 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago. He's also been right on how to handle Hamas. Uh, his column, which is very much worth uh, reading right now, which is uh, uh, Don't Stop Until Hamas is Destroyed, that appeared in the New York Post back in January of 2009. How did Ralph Peters know? Uh, we will find out from Ralph Peters and about what the United States should do concerning Ukraine, uh, Hamas, uh, Iran, and more. Coming up on The Michael Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Once in a while, you get to read a column that just knocks you out. There was a column like that in the New York Post under the headline, Don't Stop Until Hamas is Destroyed. And then the beginning of the column, it says Israeli ground troops have gone into Gaza. But can they rip out Hamas before international Israel haters save the terror machine? To provide its citizens even with temporary shelter, Israel had no choice but to a, uh, face a ground campaign's risks to its soldiers and the inevitable global criticism. The remarkable thing about that column by Ralph Peters, who's the author of 29 books, including works on strategy and military affairs, as well as best-selling Civil War novels, the column by Ralph Peters appeared January 5th, 2009. Okay, uh, it, it's uncanny, isn't it, Ralph, that so much of what you write in a column from 14 years ago is still highly applicable and relevant today? Well, history repeats itself, especially when you, uh, <laughs> especially when you don't make, take decisive action. And this is just all sadly, sadly predictable. And Israel was forced to stop, essentially, uh, for, what, 14 years ago. Uh, it was only a matter of time before this happened again. It's, it's, it happens, and it's not that, it doesn't just happen to Israel, Michael. For instance, if you remember in 2004, uh, the Marines under Jim Mattis had almost taken Fallujah from uh, the, the, the fanatics. And what happened? International pressure on the Bush administration 
um, basically drove Bush to panic, and he, he stopped Mattis just short of the goal line. So what happened, you know, we knew we'd have to go back again the next year, and we did, and it was bloodier for everybody. So there's a, the basic message, the basic theme in so much of what I've written over now, well, almost five decades now is that when you take action in any sphere, uh, it must be decisive. It must shift the it shift the, the planet basically off its axis and start again. And if you do not follow through, if you cave in to the voices saying, "Oh, those poor Palestinians—they're all—they're not all terrorists." Well, no, they're not all terrorists, but none, none of the 1,400 dead Israelis were, were terrorists. They were mothers, grandmothers, children, babies, and this level of bestial inhumanity. As, uh, as witnessed earlier with al-Qaeda, now with Hamas, which gets worse and worse and worse, it cannot be tolerated. And when Hamas, or any organization anywhere in the world, uses human shields to protect its fighters, and especially its leaders, the attacker, who, who in this case Israel, isn't to blame. We have to be absolutely clear, Michael, that the people who use humans as human shields use their fellow, in this case, you know, their fellow Palestinians as human shields. The blood is on their hands, not Israel's. And again, you and I have talked about this over the years, Michael. The fundamental issue everyone has to keep in mind when dealing with the Israeli, Palestinian, and other terrorist conflicts, the fundamental difference is that Israel wants to live in peace. Israel's enemies want to kill every Jew. Now, those are pretty different rules, and I can tell you who wears the white hats and who wears the black hats. Okay, in terms of who wears the white hats and the black hats, uh, there are American forces def definitely wearing uh, the white hats in Iraq and Syria who have come under, apparently, over the weekend, a very intensive rocket fire with more people injured uh, what is the United States going to do about this? Is this one of the reasons that the Ike, the uh, USS aircraft carrier, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and its whole battle group is moving into the eastern Mediterranean? Uh, what what does President Biden uh, do about uh, the, the attacks on U.S. forces by uh, uh, terrorist groups? funded by, directed by, uh, dispatched by Iran. Well, certainly we've sent uh, two carrier battle groups in the Eastern Med and toward the Red Sea, and toward the, the, this huge zone of conflict, and that sends a strong signal. The primary, their primary mission is deterrence, to tell Iran, Syria, any, Hezbollah, anybody else that we are ready, and we're not going to take any guff, to put it politely, uh, from you. And um, the attacks in Syria, we're, we're trying to divert our attention uh, and at the same time weaken our position in Syria. And we did respond with, with aircraft, and we took out the terrorists who were immediately behind those attacks. You're going to see more. Today, just today, you saw another um, rebel attack out of Yemen against the Saudis in the, in the border area of Saudi Arabia, southern Saudi Arabia, because they're the... Iranians, well, you're right, the Iranians are behind all of this. Uh, the Iranians are trying to divert the Saudis so nobody can, so they're too occupied and preoccupied to get involved in any kind of peacemaking. Um, 
they're doing their best to peel people away from Israel, the Iranians are, and so far they're failing, actually. The greatest danger to Israel right now, honest to God, I mean, for all the blood that has been shed and will be shed, the greatest danger to Israel is the international media and international public opinion, which is easily led, and when those on the extreme left, uh, or the extreme anything, start telling the lies, oh, Israel's killing all these babies, and you get artificial intelligence involved and, and phony clips, as we've seen throughout this conflict, uh, people don't know what to think, especially less educated people in underdeveloped countries, uh, those who are maybe fellow Muslims, uh, they're, they're easily led, and Israel is vilified. And the reason I said what I said earlier about the clear difference between Israel and its, its enemies is because we lose sight of that. We get wrapped up in the day-to-day. You know, so the, the Hamas, let's say Hamas uses a kindergarten class as human shields. Well, you know, who gets the blame if, they, if the kids are killed? Israel does. And so Israel has to, Netanyahu, I don't always admire everything he does, but he and his war cabinet must stay the course and really go all the way this time. If they don't, you'll do it again. And Hamas and the ter- other terrorists will be, their actions will be even uglier, even more brutal. If you don't finish the job, if you don't wipe the plague out of your city, if you, if you don't cure the disease uh, all the way, if you don't cut out all the cancer, it comes back worse. Do you believe that they, they've just broadcast now images of uh, uh, the Hamas leaders who, of course, are not in Gaza? They are, <laughs> I was actually shocked to hear, uh, doing live broadcasts out of Qatar. And uh, do you think that uh, those leaders should be exempt from consequences for their murderous and uh, obscene leadership because they are hiding out in Qatar? Uh, We will be right back talking to Ralph Peters, the author of 29 books, including his most recent Civil War novel, The Damned of Petersburg. We'll be right back with uh, Ralph Peters. Great show. I listen to you every day. The Michael Medved Show. go back and you look at the record at what uh, Ralph Peters has written over the years what he has had to say uh, books and articles and piece of advice some of his work with the Hoover Institution uh, it's all so incredibly prophetic and right on target and not only regarding the dangers of Hamas and other Islamo fascist terrorist groups but also the dangers of Vladimir Putin. You were way ahead of the curve on that. Uh, as Ralph, what do you say to uh, people who believe that the United States uh, should cut off uh, all aid and support for the Ukrainians who are struggling to defend the independence of their homeland? I think that's just insane, Michael. And it not only would mean a much tougher fight and a bloodbath in Ukraine, 
it also would do real damage, profound damage, to our security, to our national security here, and to our allies in Europe and around the world. And my God, if you can stop Hitler before he conquers France, stop him. And right now, you know, we're at the point where Hitler's, um, <laughs> the new Hitler, Putin, is really on the move. But the, hey, the bottom line is, take emotion out of it. The guy's a menace. Putin says he hates us. He admits he hates us. He wants to harm us. He wants to break up the US, Western alliance. He wants to hurt our economies the way his economy isn't hurting. He means ill by us. Putin wants to do us harm. He wants to do your listeners harm. And so we have a situation where the Ukrainians, God bless them, they have not asked for a single U.S. fighting man or woman. They're, we, you know, we're not fighting this fight for them. They're fighting our fight for us. Ukrainian blood is protecting the United States of America and our interests and our people. And if we cannot send them a couple of bucks by Washington standards, given the waste in this country, uh, the cronyism, the, the corruption, the nepotism, if we can't spare you know, a spare change for Ukraine when they're fighting our fight and dying and fighting hard and fighting bravely for freedom, for democracy, for independence, all the things we swear or claim that we stand for as a country, how on earth can Republicans of all people in Congress, how can they support Vladimir Putin and make no mistake, anyone who talks about cutting Ukraine aid, aid for Ukraine. Anyone who talks about that is a Vladimir Putin pawn at best. They're actively supporting this totalitarian monster who is doing his best to destroy a country striving for freedom. And yes, you'll hear, oh, well, the Ukrainians are corrupt. You think the Ukrainians are corrupt? <laughs> well, try some of the gerrymandering in the United States, but but also, have a look at Russia if you want to see corruption. The Ukrainians are trying to fight it. Russia has been fostering corruption in neighboring Ukraine. And they, they, Putin thought he had his corrupt oligarchs ready to go and take over in Ukraine. But you know what? The Ukrainian people fought back. So please, I beg your listeners, don't listen to the, the nutcases. Ukraine is our fight, and we don't even have to give any blood. Because you rate Ukrainians give the blood. Just give them the weapons. Give them the support. Brothers and sisters, my fellow citizens, it is dirt cheap compared to what will happen if we have to get in the fight some years down the road with Putin somewhere else if he invades a NATO country. So please, stop the bully now. As far as the money goes, you've got ruthless, soulless, corrupt, ignorant politicians going back to their home district and saying, well, they're, you're taking that, they're taking that money from you, and they're going to send that money to corrupt Ukraine. Well, you know, first of all, the pennies we're sending to Ukraine compared to our other outlays, um, they're not. They're they're carefully monitored. We're really doing a good job of monitoring that money. But the other thing is, it's not immediately fungible. Just because Ukraine is getting it, getting five dollars today, doesn't mean that five dollars is taken out of your pocket. What the, the, the line like is, the line that a lot of Republicans use is, why are we spending money protecting Ukraine's border when we won't spend any money protecting our own border? And uh, again, it's, it's not either or. The United States certainly has enough money and is putting more money into border security, which I think most people consider is important and is worthwhile. 
But that idea that somehow uh, the crisis on our southern border uh, is traceable to our preoccupation with Ukraine has no substance to it at all, does it? No, none whatsoever. It's, it, it, the money comes out of different pots. And by the way, we actually do spend a great deal of money, billions, tens of billions of dollars every year on our southern border. The problem isn't the money on the southern border. The problem is the policies, that we are simply unwilling to control that border. And you control the border by making it impossible for illegal immigrants to stay in this country. That is the key. If they cannot stay here, they do not come. Uh, but both parties are essentially inclusion of this on this for, for different reasons. And, Michael, I am absolutely in favor of immigration. We need it. It's a key to our booming economy compared to European and other economies. Immigrants bring tremendous things. You, we're, we're, you and I, we're descended from immigrants. Um, and I think we've made some contributions in our time. I've served my country. You've served your country with your integrity and honesty in the media. Thank you. And immigrants are great, but they have to stand in line. You don't jump the line. You don't come illegally. Now, the Republicans have to give in and acknowledge the fact that we do need immigration. We need immigrants. The Democrats have to acknowledge that not every immigrant is a saint. Uh, and, you know, you come here covered in gang tattoos. Sorry, dude, you're going back to El Sal. Um, we have to have basic standards. We have to have integrity, honesty, acknowledge our needs, but also be willing to enforce it when people break the law. You have no... We have a right to defend our borders. People have... Uh, foreigners have no inherent right to come here. And, you know, obviously even the illegal immigrants, they fall into different categories. Of course they do. Some are striving for a better life. Some are drug runners. Uh, sort them out. But the bottom line is this. Stopping aid to Ukraine would not help our southern border problem one bit. Um, they're, they're just different problems. It's like saying, well, you know, gee, I've got a cold, so I don't have to worry about cancer. It's a non sequitur. It just doesn't, they, don't, they don't relate. But Ukraine, bottom line for me, Israel's fighting our fight against terrorism. Ukraine is fighting our fight against totalitarianism. We Americans are so privileged to live in security in this country that there's no precedent in history. We're so rich and wealthy as a nation. Uh, and we're such an ungrateful nation that breaks my heart. We have so much to be grateful for. Bottom line, support Ukraine against Putin. Support Israel against Islamist terrorism. Yes, get control of the southern border. It's not about the money. It's about the policies and enforcement. Uh, Amen. Boy, it, it, this is common sense. You can read more common sense. You can read uh, Ralph Peter's column from uh, 14 years ago, which still every word of it applies today, which means that people have been very slow in learning lessons that they should learn. And that goes to some of our allies as well. Uh, uh, Ralph Peters, his... Uh, Civil War novel, The uh, Damned of Petersburg. That's not Petersburg as in uh, the capital, the former capital of Tsarist Russia. It's Petersburg in Virginia, uh, which is an amazing story uh, in itself. Uh, Ralph Peters, thank you for your service for so many years as a, an enlisted man and officer in the U.S. Army. And uh, thank you most of all for your enlightenment and clarity. 
Meanwhile, is it true that uh, Putin is getting what he wants because of uh, the war in the Middle East? We'll get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. Entertain your brain. Your show is very entertaining. Every day on the Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, with uh, the political situation here in the United States. It's uh, extraordinarily important uh, that the Republican Party regain its commitment to uh, American leadership in the broader world. The isolationist Republican Party, which, by the way, was a factor it did used to exist in the 1930s and uh, not so much in the 40s. Nobody could be in isolations in the 40s. But the 30s and even into the 50s, but even then, not so much. Even people like Robert Taft uh, were coming out of that isolationist torpor. The point is, it's too dangerous. It's just too dangerous to ignore what is going on in the rest of the world. And Nikki Haley um, made that very clear. She gave um, a very well-received speech. And and you just have to talk to people who were there in Las Vegas at the Republican Jewish Coalition, where she was speaking to a group of very prominent donors. That's a group, the Republican Jewish Coalition, that... um, uh, used to be uh, heavily funded by uh, the late uh, casino owner. That's why it's in uh, and and uh, basically very very committed Republican donor, where so much money went to Republican candidates, and it's one of the reasons that you had uh, eight different candidates for president, including Donald Trump, who spoke to this group. As I mentioned, I think that uh, Ambassador Haley uh, is certainly one who made a strong impression. See, she said this. This is clip 19. Ukraine is a peaceful, pro-American country. The dictator of Russia is evil. He's a war criminal who's guilty of genocide. We should give Ukraine what it needs to kick Russia out of its country. To be clear, Israel and Ukraine have significant differences, but they have even more significant similarities. In both Israel and Ukraine, an evil regime is responsible for starting war. Iran and Russia are joined at the hip, and they're both unlimited partners of communist China. Iran, Russia, and China are all part of an unholy alliance. They have no problem invading their neighbors. They have no regard for human life. And they all share the same goal. They want to wipe out freedom. And they hate America more than anyone. Their ultimate goal is to destroy us. Just listen to what the dictators say. 
They tell us their goals very plainly and transparently. This is not just about Israel's security or Ukraine's security. This is profoundly about America's security. It's shocking and appalling that so many of our leaders and would-be leaders don't get this. It's not just Joe Biden. There are plenty of Democrats and Republicans who fail to understand the nature of the threats we face. You've already heard from some of them today, and I'm not today's last speaker. Mark my words, those who would abandon Ukraine today are at risk of abandoning Israel tomorrow. Okay, that's a very profound message for the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, Sheldon Adelson was the casino owner that built the Venetian Hotel, which is um, one of the show places in Las Vegas. But uh, he certainly was someone who strongly believed in uh, an American leadership point of view uh, and uh, not uh, an American firster in any sense. But then again, when when Nikki Haley referred to when she said, I'm not your last speaker, uh, it's because the last speaker was President Trump. And uh, part of what he said was that basically the way to avoid conflict is to elect him. Uh, Why? Uh, Here's what he had to say. Clip five. Remember Hillary? She said, he'll cause, he'll cause a war. He'll cause a war. They'll look at him. The way he talks, he'll cause a war. I said, no, the way I talk, I'll stop wars. I'm the only president in 72 years that didn't start a war. The only one. No, we didn't stop. But we finished wars. We finished ISIS and a lot of others. We got out of Syria. We got out of Iraq. Okay, uh, uh, President Trump also uh, went on to uh, talk about his indictments, uh, which is tough for him to avoid because that's where he's spending a great deal of his time. Uh, This is clip six. They did something to me that's never been done before. They indicted me because I protested a crooked election. They indicted me. They go after people for years. Do you notice they never go after people that rigged the election? They go after people that are complaining about the rigging. Anybody get see? Did anybody see anybody with all the things and all the facts we have? And you'll be seeing them come out because we never forget. You know, history, you have to remember. History is a very important word. But they indicted me once, twice, three, four. I think they stopped. I heard they were going to do a couple of more, but they said, don't do any more because my poll numbers have shot up. Because people get it, right? People get it. Yeah, that's right. People get it. And uh, then he he spoke about um, <laughs> uh, the leaders he admires who are often not Democratic leaders. They are people who are described as strong men or a.k.a. dictators. For instance, uh, listen to what he had to say about Viktor Orban, uh, the uh, strong man of Hungary. This is clip three. Viktor Orban, did anybody ever hear of Viktor Orban? He's the head of Hungary. Hungary fronts on both Ukraine and Russia. No, it doesn't. 
But uh, does he say more about Viktor Orban and uh, how much he admires him? Uh, this is this is just one of those things that is really very very hard to fully understand. Chris Christie had his own take on President Trump, and let's acknowledge Chris Christie's doing terribly in polls. But he said this on CNN: Donald Trump never finishes what he started. Uh, he said he was going to build a wall across the entire border of the United States and Mexico. He built 52 miles of new wall um, in four years. Uh, he said he was going to balance the budget. He added $7.8 trillion in debt. And the same way he said he was going to bring peace to the Middle East, he did not do that because he didn't finish the job, as you said. And so, uh, look, uh, if he couldn't do it in the first term with good people around him, imagine what he would do in a second term uh, with uh, the the clowns and rogues gallery he would have around him in a second Trump term because that's the only people that would actually work for him. And so we need to keep focused on one thing. Donald Trump is not going to be able to beat Joe Biden from a courtroom in Washington, D.C. while he's fighting his indictment on the January 6th case. And let me tell you, that indictment got much tougher for him to beat when his own chief of staff has now accepted immunity and will testify against him about the lies he told in the aftermath of January 6th and what he was told by his own people about the fact that he had lost the election. This is going to be a big problem for our party, and we need to cut it off at the pass, get rid of Donald Trump, and move on to honest, strong leadership that will tell the truth. And, uh, by the way, President Trump also had this to say about... And this is a problem for him, another potential witness against him, who is a former attorney general of the United States, appointed by Donald Trump and uh, Bill Barr, we're talking about. Uh, he posted on Truth Social today, uh, President Trump, and uh, we, will, we will get to that, actually, because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fairly uh, remarkable. He... Um, uh, d describes Bill Barr as slow-moving, lethargic, gutless, and lazy. Uh, and for somebody who has been attorney general twice with considerable distinction, uh, not just with President Trump, but he was attorney general under the first President Bush a long time ago. Uh, that's uh, why is Trump attacking Bill Barr at the moment? And how does this go, given the fact that Bill Barr could be a witness against the gag order that says he's not allowed to attack potential witnesses, including people like Mark Meadows? We will get to all of that and to uh, more about the uh, economy and why it is that Americans are richer than we think in this greatest nation on God's green earth.